Hey, thanks for tuning into The Scoop. Before we get started with the episode, I wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Blockset. They've been a big supporter of The Scoop and The Block for quite some time now. Blockset offers the industry's leading digital asset toolkit. With flexibility, security, and scalability in mind, enterprises and developers alike can get to market quickly and efficiently connect to multiple blockchains from one single source API. Go sign up for a free account at blockset.com and start building today. Stay tuned for more information later in the episode. And I also want to give a shout out to Kraken. With Kraken, the cryptocurrency exchange, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or even earn additional rewards through their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit Kraken.com now to learn more. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to what is a very special and exciting and timely, I might add, episode of The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chapar, Director of News at The Block, and I am pleased to be joined by my colleague, Ryan Todd, Research Analyst at The Block. And on the other side of the mic is a dear friend of The Block over at CME Group, Tim McCourt. He is responsible for a lot of their products and the number of products related to crypto keeps growing and he's overseeing those businesses. Tim has had a busy day, a post-Super Bowl uh, wake up. Uh, this is the first week of trading for ETH Futures and we're going to talk about that and a lot more over the course of the next hour. We hope you enjoy the show. Tim, for listeners who may be new to crypto, who maybe just caught wind of this ETH Futures launch, you know, CME is a big firm. They are trading thousands of different contracts and assets. And, you know, you're kind of sitting there uh, overseeing a lot of the alternative assets and, and products. Walk us through exactly what you guys are doing. And, and then maybe we can talk a little bit about today's news and uh, your broader crypto journey and strategy. Great. Thanks, Frank. And, and, and thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me on today. It's great to get together and talk about the Ether launch today. Uh, and as you mentioned, my, my title is I'm Global Head of Equity Index and Alternative Investment Products at the CME Group. So my team uh, looks after the Global Equity Index benchmark, such as the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, the Dow, the Russell, the Nikkei, uh, lots of other options on futures and futures within the equity space. And on the alternative side, we actually have a few products now. We have commodity indices, we have cryptocurrency with Bitcoin futures, Bitcoin options, and now our third product for crypto, the Ether futures. And back last year in 2020, we also introduced water futures with our partners over at NASDAQ. So quite a few products now in market under the alternative bet, uh, belt, but crypto, by far everyone's favorite, uh, keeps it exciting. Uh, the team's really excited about today's launch. Tim, I'm Tim you're, telling me, you're telling me that water futures aren't garnering more interest than e-futures? There's no way that's true. Well, I think, you know, they're garnering lots of lots of interest, uh, different different products, you know, in terms of tracking underlying different indices. Uh, but the response to Ether has been overwhelming. You know, people have been really excited. Uh, as you know, we've, we've talked about, you always ask me what comes next. 
And we're always not, you know, we're not sure, but we always listen to customers. And I think for the long time now, customers have really been demanding Ether futures. They're really excited about the Bitcoin futures and the success they've had. And Ether with, you know, being the second most popular digital asset, it's been number one on the ask list for a long time. So I just think different. Lots of enthusiasm for all our products, but just a little bit different uh, for Ether. A little bit more special today, I think, for Ether. You have to take the approach like you would as a parent. You have to love all of your equity derivatives and crypto derivatives equally (laughs) as the sort of exchange parent of them. Guardian, if you will. But anyway, I digress. So let's talk about you know the journey for folks who may be new um, to the show or to the crypto industry in general. We're getting you know surges in traffic across the board, so we have a lot of new listeners, and so I don't want to take that knowledge gap for granted. But you know, if we wind back the clock to when CME Group first got involved in the space, it was 2017. There was ICO mania, and almost seemingly out of nowhere um, to an extent, or at least that was my perspective, you guys alongside with your Crosstown rival came out the gate with Bitcoin futures. And for a while, you know, that product seemed to sort of, as the crypto winter gripped the market, you know, it it was strong, but relative to maybe some other products, you know, it takes time to build a market. You know, this is something we always talk about. But then over the past year, the thing has just been ripping. And then you guys came out with options in addition to that. And, and then now futures as well. So walk us through that evolution. Yeah, it's been an amazing journey, right? I don't think there's any other way to describe it. You know, we launched, as you said, Frank, the Bitcoin futures back in December of 2017. Uh, but we actually, you know, we, we dipped our toes in, in crypto a little bit before that. We had the the Bitcoin reference rate that we developed with our partners over at Crypto Facilities, now CF Benchmarks Limited. And we had that reference rate published in November of 2016. And we announced it a few months earlier. I think it was back in May of 2016. So that's really been part of our approach is when dealing with customers, we really listen to them to see what we what we should focus on, what they need from a risk management perspective, what they need from a trading and an access perspective. And that's really where some of the inspiration started. You know, we they had a, an overwhelming interest and need for trading and accessing cryptocurrency in a regulated fashion. Uh, it's seen as a, as a regulated exchange here in the U.S. And when we first looked at the Bitcoin reference, rate, it was really around providing that price transparency. Uh, back then, there were lots of uh, spot exchanges and lots of transactions happening. And one of the central things that we were first engage with on customers was providing that that price of Bitcoin in US dollar uh, at, at a given point throughout the day. So that's what gave rise to the Bitcoin reference rate, which everyone knows is the BRR. And then we were able to then, once we had that reference rate, we were able to introduce a futures contract because our futures contract financially settled. It's worth five Bitcoin uh, in terms of the multiplier, but we settle US dollars and we settle the fiat. So it's really that kind of trusted playbook with our customers of giving a trusted benchmark to the marketplace, continuing to engage with them, introduce futures. Uh, and then the same thing for Ether. You know, we introduced the Ether reference rate, uh, Ether US dollar reference rate back in May of 2018, launching futures today. As you mentioned, we introduced options along the way as well. 
And that's because people needed risk management for cryptocurrency. And it was not just about managing some of their digital asset positions or they wanted to hedge their portfolio. Uh, a good number of our customers at CME wanted to trade at a trusted, regulated venue. And with Siemens Group's nearly 180-year history, Frank, to your point, and having thousands of contracts across all the major investable asset classes, it made sense for us to bring these contracts, to bring these reference rates to the market to better serve our clients and enable their ability to access and trade and hedge the cryptocurrency market. And it's been an amazing journey three years in. And I'm excited for the next chapter that now includes Ethan. I think a lot of people when CME came out on the scene with these tradable products, and I should have been more specific about my point that I was making there. I was, I was kind of talking about the foray into tradable products. I think three years ago, people would have been surprised to see the firm's open interest volumes up against some of the larger, more crypto natives only a few years into the story here, right? So today we're at over 2 billion only one spot away from OKX, two spots away from Binance. So you're really, and then at several points throughout the year, you guys had the highest open interest and, you know, the volumes were among the highest. What kind of drove that evolution? A lot of people thought folks would be sticky to these crypto native platforms that necessarily didn't play out. So what happened? Was it the fact that this is as my colleague Ryan, who's on the line, would describe the product, the easiest way to play Bitcoin for an institution, or was it a confluence of other things? I think there's a few different things, right, that have led to the success. Uh, and we're certainly proud of kind of climbing into that pole position as, a, as the top users exchange for, you know, back in November and then again in December, uh, and looking forward to continued growth. But I think a few of the things that drove it was one, to your point, was this plug-and-play aspect. When we look at CME Group and the distribution that we have globally is people and participants are already connected to CME. They're trading other products. So when we look at the ability to trade Bitcoin futures or Ether futures, it functions the same way in that you would trade a S&P 500 index future or a NASDAQ 100 index future. The product, the kind of widget through the machine, so to speak, works the same way. Your brokers are familiar, your clearing members are familiar, and you're just moving the U.S. dollar uh, performance of the contract. So you don't have some of those barriers to entry that you do on the spot side, whether it be how to solve for the custodian issues or wallets, or do you need to get certain types of insurance to be able to hold it if you're a traditional institution? All these things that people are, are grappling with, it was just easier. There's an easy way to access the market, and it was done so in a regulated fashion with an institution that has been tried and tested, and there's an enormous amount of trust in that relationship between CME and our, and our participants and our clients. I think the other thing, though, is when you look at how CME has, has grown and, and kind of blossomed in the ecosystem over the last three years, is it's really, a, I think, a growth versus growth story. You know, when we look at CME coming into its own and continuing to grow and have, you know, January was our best month ever with over seven, almost 17,600 futures contracts traded. You know, it's almost 88,000 Bitcoin equivalent per day. Uh, that's our best month ever. But I think it's also because the ecosystem, when you look at the trading ecosystem of Bitcoin, has really grown. There's a lot of velocity between the various liquidity pools, whether it be the spot platforms, the spot exchanges, at CME, uh, some of the overseas platforms, 
there's more participants trading on multiple venues and the interrelatedness is growing, which adds to velocity uh, and really enables CME as a price discovery center for Bitcoin. And then you look at some of the other trading activity where people are looking at more traditional strategies about extracting premium versus some of the investment trusts or the other vehicles that are out there. These are all things that are adding to the velocity. And CME is the futures market in a great position to provide that product to market participants, either for access, for hedging, or trading within the ecosystem in general. So I think it's a few of those things that have led to, to our great growth over the last few years and has brought us to the position we are in today. I don't want to flatter you too much, Tim, and I'll try to ask some more difficult questions later on in the show, but I want to double-click on this, this element here of CME's growth because it's also underpinned by a number of competitors from both the startup and traditional exchange world kind of floundering to an extent. Whether it was CBOE kind of sunsetting their Bitcoin futures or just looking at the landscape, other upstart crypto native institutional plays not kind of arising to the occasion, whether it's, and I, I, can, I can name them, you don't have to. RSX or back, et cetera. From that perspective, you could have made the same argument about many of these other firms. They uh, provide that plug and play. They provide that white glove service. What still then about CME allowed you guys to really just dominate Bitcoin futures from the institutional side? Well, that's an interesting question where you know, I wouldn't necessarily say our success is predicated on their failure. I mean, I think competition and growth in general is great for crypto, and I hope that others are, are helping push that frontier of innovation right along along with us, along with others. But when we look at some of the differences of CME contracts, I think it really comes down to two differences. And one was the size of contract and the design, the underlying reference rate. When we look at Bitcoin, as a reminder, we have that five Bitcoin multiplier as a contract. And I think that helped us in terms of attracting the institutional grade investors and clientele uh, that was designed in, great, uh, in response to great feedback that we had from customers during the, the design phase and the, and the build-up. And if you recall, back in 2017, 2018, people were questioning, was that the right size? And we were committed to it because that's what the customers told us they wanted, and we listened. I think the other thing that separates CME is the Bitcoin reference rate. So when you look at how the reference rate is designed, again, this is the CME CF Bitcoin reference rate. It's actually a regulated benchmark under, under BMR out, out of Europe. And it's designed to be fairly, fairly robust and track spot transactions in Bitcoin. So we have five underlying constituent exchanges where currently it's Bitstamp, ItBit, Coinbase, Kraken, and Gemini. Uh, and for Bitcoin, that represents somewhere between 50 to 60% of the Bitcoin dollar fiat trading that happens per day when you look at the volumes that go through those transactions. So that gives a very robust price discovery mechanism. And it also allows market participants to, to trade at those venues, to hedge at those venues. And as they're looking to manage their risk and transfer risk, we're more entrenched in part of that, that spot market price discovery because our future settles to the Bitcoin reference rate on the last Friday of the month. I think that's something that separates us because some of the other solutions in the market are that's single right. point of price contribution well, or we, single point of, of, of delivery. If we look back at the CBOE contract, it was based just on the market of Gemini, which I actually wrote about this at the time back in 2017. Even then, they only had 1% 
of the market in terms of spot volume. They were kind of basing their contract on this small corner of the market. Whereas, and I think this was the proposition that was presented at the time for CME's contract, you have a much broader sort of uh, capture of, of the spot market with the contract price. Absolutely. And the same holds true for the Ether futures contract as well. With the Ether US dollar reference rate, it's the same five constituent exchanges. Uh, the participation that it represents ebbs and flows a little bit more, but it's in that same ballpark of about 40, about 50% uh, representing the Ether dollar transactions. But what that does is something as still relatively new and fast growing as crypto, we had embedded flexibility in our design such that as the underlying spot market grew and evolved, we could evolve along with it. You know, there's also rules that allow additional constituent exchanges to be added to the reference rate. And on a pro forma basis, they have to be about 3% of the index. So it balances their being a meaningful venue with their ability to comply and comport with the, the guidelines of maintained by the oversight committee. So we have that flexibility as the market collectively is figuring out where it wants to trade and where it wants price discovery to take place in the digital asset market of which the reference rate is based on. We can flex with it. Uh, we're, you know, and that's why we added Gemini as a partner, you know, a few years ago, they were the most recent addition. Uh, and that's been great. They've been a great partner and, and we've had continued success with the, the original constituent exchanges that we've had. And it's been. That, I think, has been a key to our success is we're not pinned to one price uh, in terms of one price venue. We can, we can grow as the market does, and the Bitcoin reference rate is a robust, regulated underlying reference rate that serves our needs very well as a futures exchange operator. Tim, I want to jump in. It's, it's funny, as Frank kind of alluded to, part of my role early on at the block was, it was actually analyzing uh, the CFTC COT reports and specifically the CME Bitcoin product and the data that was available through that report. And it just has been really, I, I mean, I, I, Frank says that we don't want to hype you guys up too much, but I mean, it really was remarkable to see just just the dispersion of large reportable interest holders that, that have been trading the product. I think a stat I like to throw out and it kind of was quietly passed, I guess, back in October, but um, I guess the product had more than 100 large open interest holders, a number that doubled from a year prior. And actually, if you look at all the CFTC reportable futures contracts, which have these large open interest holders that are actually holding these products, I think it was in the top 60 of all products. So it was just really it's something that really stood out to me. And so I'm wondering if, A, you guys had any expectation of this actually happening, you know, two, three years into the product's existence, and B, how this impacts how your expectations are for the ETH product, the ETH futures product. Do you expect the same type of investor base to to approach the product um, in the same amount of time and then kind of build out that dispersed target audience? Or do you think it, it kind of targets a different type of investor? It's a great question. I think what's interesting is you, you absolutely hit the nail on the head. When we look at the large open interest holder growth uh, right, which is tracked by the CFTC report that you mentioned. It's been amazing, right? To have 110 large traders uh, back in December, three years uh, after launch. Which, for those uh, for those listening that may not be familiar, that those traders that hold 25 futures contracts or more, or the equivalent of at least 125 Bitcoin. I mean, that number of 110 is is more large open interest holders than are in the Dow futures contract, for example. 
so to be kind of in that top towards part of that list uh, is a remarkable accomplishment and testament to the institutional adoption because these tend to be, uh, you know, well, not 100% sure can you say it, but these tend to be people that are holding and investing or hedging, right? You know, because these are open interest. This isn't trade volume. These are people holding contracts. Uh, so when you have volume growth with open interest growth and increasing number of large open interest holders, that's a tremendous sign of a healthy ecosystem continuing to grow in a futures market at CME. Uh, and it's been remarkable. You know, if I'm being honest, it surpassed my wildest expectations. You know, if we look back in, in three years, uh, I knew we were on to something uh, in December of 2017. But, uh, you know, I didn't think we would get here uh, so quickly. And it's been remarkable to watch. Uh, it does make it a challenge, right, for, for, for Ether because, you know, I guess the question is, have we set the bar for ourselves? And does Ether, how does Ether grow compared to Bitcoin? Uh, and while I can't predict the future, I'm very optimistic about what it holds for Ether. The, the demand has been very strong from customers. The response has been really, really strong from customers. People are engaged about it. Uh, and I think what's interesting is in the conversations we're having with customers, a lot of Bitcoin traders at CME uh, are also involved in looking at Ether. But when we also take a step back, Ether has its own kind of distinct ecosystem and is backed by, you know, a few hundred products around DeFi. There's differences that make up the ecosystem. There are some firms and players that only trade Ether. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited about not only what Ether brings in terms of new participants to the market, but what is the interplay we now have at the exchange of being able to trade Bitcoin either side by side at CME? And does that attract even more institutions and more participants in the marketplace? Uh, so hard to say if we'll, if we'll crack that 110 market mark before uh, Bitcoin did uh, with respect to Ether. But it's going to be a lot of fun to try and hit that number and break that record for sure. Well, the hedging needs probably look a little bit different, right? Most of the folks may be holding Bitcoin. Um, maybe they're a macro fund looking to put on a futures position as a hedge, or maybe they just don't want to deal with the underlying in terms of custody and want to put on a position through the futures contract where it's kind of handled just like any other future they they deal with. Whereas with Ether, you, you mentioned this more broad ecosystem of different projects, right? Maybe built on top of the network where there are these unique hedging needs. And so it raises this interesting question that Ryan and I have been talking about, which is maybe there isn't that big of an overlap. Sure, there's an overlap, but I, I wonder if almost the folks coming to CME might be a, a bit more crypto native coming to you guys for those types of um, hedging needs. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good question. I think especially when you're looking at some of the hedge use case, which you know we're talking about people that are holding the digital asset in some capacity uh, and want to, from a risk perspective, try to decrease some of that risk and and hedge that need. Uh, certainly, that would tend to describe a more crypto native or crypto infused participant because they've actually gone to the point of acquiring enough digital asset that they need to hedge. Uh, so I think that's certainly a, a sound premise. But I think the other thing we've seen in Bitcoin, too, is people also using it to access, right, uh, the market as an investment and an allocation like they do with uh, all sorts of futures contra contracts uh, here at CME. So I think it'll be interesting. Uh, I do think it's a, it'll be interesting over time, though, to see how those needs play out. Certainly, the type of activity we're seeing in Bitcoin futures today is different than what we were, saw, what we were seeing a year ago or two years ago or certainly when we launched 
So we evolve over time. Uh, more and more participants will join the market, uh, and that will change, for lack of a better word, the personality of the market. Uh, and as the price action itself uh, manifests in the market, certainly people's hedging needs change as price evolution happens over time, whether it's going up or going down. You know, we're agnostic to price movement at the exchange, but as the price moves, different people will need to hedge things differently. Uh, so it's, it'll be interesting to see how it develops over time. But I would think I would agree with your, your statement in general, when you're looking at the hedging need, it's because that individual or that firm or that institution probably is more entrenched in the crypto space already. Otherwise, they wouldn't have that de facto need to hedge the position. If you're a listener of The Scoop or follow The Block, then you know I am super excited about the future of crypto adoption, especially on the enterprise side. Our sponsor, Blockset, is not only helping to push development at the grassroots level with their multi-chain API, but also at the institutional level. Blockset is built by BRD, the first crypto wallet in the App Store from 2014, and one of the largest in the space today. They've taken the architecture and the knowledge they've gained over the past six years to create Blockset, a robust, reliable, and strategic B2B offering for developers and enterprises. Blockset is enabling banks and other major financial institutions to interface and build with crypto assets at light speed. See just how simple it is by visiting Blockset.com and sign up for a free account today. And I also want to take a moment to thank Kraken, the cryptocurrency exchange. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Whether it's your first trade or your 100th, Kraken has the tools to help you hit your financial goals in crypto. With Kraken, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or earn additional rewards through their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week, and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit Kraken.com now to learn more. So if we look at the first day of trading, the first week, we're here at the first week of trading. Well, this will probably come out Tuesday, so we'd be at the, the second full day of trading. What does the market look like? And has it met your expectations in terms of the participants and in terms of the, the volumes? Um, how would you break that down? That's a great question. So, you know, we're, we're just about, we just about finished the first day of trading here and we've done a little under 400 futures contracts. So I think if I look at my screens correctly, you know, the official numbers aren't out, uh, but it's about 388 futures contracts, which represents, you know, 19,400 uh, equivalent to Ether. Uh, and the market's worked really well all day. You know, it's traversed uh, some price range. We've had a good bid ask uh, on the contract. It looks like the last trade here is at 732, spot 75. Uh, and things have gone really well. You know, I think the thing we'll watch for tomorrow as we head into is how many of that trade, those contracts are held as open interest. Uh, make sure we'll go through a good settlement process uh, today to mark the contract. And a really successful day one, and I think excited for day two, uh, for sure. So how did we get here in terms of the journey from Bitcoin-focused products to now looking more broadly out into the crypto world, other crypto-related products? I remember when we were speaking, must have been a year ago, pre-pandemic, at a conference held by now one of our competitors, whom I won't name, but you're speaking at a webinar with him tomorrow. Um <laughs> 
<laughs> you you mentioned that you guys were Bitcoin focused at the time. So how did you guys get comfortable enough with the Ethereum ecosystem to then launch a product there? And I think just to tack on too, what what was the biggest challenge to overcome? Because I know there was there were several in the initial documents that you that you guys put out. You know, when we look yeah, when we look at the product development cycle at CME, it's really driven by customer demand and customer needs. So I, I think one word that comes to mind is persistence. The persistence of our customers to ask us to help them further expand their ability to trade cryptocurrency, to manage some of the risks they're having as they have also expanded beyond Bitcoin uh, into uh, Ether and the Ethereum network. Uh, and just keep on understanding how can we play a role in enabling that risk management and accessing these markets. Uh, you know, I think one of the other things we watched for is when we look at how does the reference rate behave in the market, uh, it's good to have a certain amount of actual live history out there uh, to make sure it's working as designed. There are no deficiencies with the index or the reference rate, which there, there haven't been, been published successfully every day since launch. Uh, and it's really just a matter of keeping up with customer demand and working on it. We can also look at how Ether has continued to come in as, to its own as the second most popular digital asset by market capitalization and average daily volume that it continues to deliver. Uh, that is certainly an organic growth story. And the interest in Ethereum technology, you know, with the second largest public blockchain network, uh, it, I think has never been higher. Right? We keep on seeing the, the projects and uh, how this is continued to DeFi is a popular topic. Uh, I think there's some interesting things about the network itself and the technology. Um, and it's gone, uh, Ether, as the, the token that fuels the Ethereum network, you know, it's gone, undergone remarkable development in, in a fairly young history and continues to grow. So there's a lot of momentum, I think, in this space as well that further captures our attention, further articulates or personifies the need for more risk management capabilities in the marketplace. And then you overlay the same benefits of CME and our 100 or nearly 180 year history about being a regulated futures market, offering central clearing where you know we become the counterparty to the contract. We innovate the trades that that CME clearing is the, the buyer to every seller, the seller to every buyer, the benefits of central clearing, the ben benefits of uh, centralized efficient price discovery in the futures market. When you mix that with something like the growth and the interest in Ethereum and Ether, it's a very powerful combination. Uh, so it kind of came to that point, that, that point of criticality where it was time for us to introduce the contract. We also had a very good track record with Bitcoin. One of the things, you know, I think, Frank, when we talked before, I think one of the things that, that you've heard me say is that it was important that we got it right. You know, we could, you know, we could move fast if we wanted to, but it's really important that we move prudently and got things right with respect to Bitcoin, because I do believe if we had messed some things up along the way, uh, you know, that might have been it. it might have been, you know, bad for our customers, bad for the market, bad for ourselves. Uh, so it's very important that we got Bitcoin right and then Bitcoin options right. And now that those markets have been up and running and doing well, it was okay for us to expand into another currency. And I think it's just this confluence of events coupled with customer demand, growth in the underlying asset, 
and our collective increased comfort in moving into a second asset uh, with our customers, with our clearing members, with our regulators as, as a trusted and tried regulated venue, all these things kind of came together uh, and it was, it was the right time. And I think it was been welcomed by the marketplace. Um, and, you know, I think day one is we're off to a great start, but we still have a long way to go to build this ecosystem. Uh, and I hope we can make it, as I was saying, as, as successful, if not more successful than Bitcoin with some of these milestones. Tim, in terms of other demand, I'm wondering if there has been you know, rising interest in, say, mini contracts on CME Bitcoin. I know ETH just came out, but, you know, as these assets continue to go up in price, wondering what the thoughts are there on uh, maybe exploring cheaper contracts. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. It's something that will continue to be guided by customers about where we should focus. Uh, it's certainly a question that comes up a lot more with, with Bitcoin and the futures now at the 45,000 handle versus the, the 5,000 handle uh, from customers. But I think when we look at the design of our contracts and kind of it being that institutional grade offering, uh, it's still, still a, still a good size contract for, for most participants. And we'll continue to listen to folks. Uh, it's also interesting when you look at things like options and the need to delta hedge or if any of the more structured products come online with things like structured notes or ETFs, uh, you know, outside the U.S. or even maybe one day inside the U.S., there's always going to be a, a need for finer granularity and precision with respect to managing inflows and outflows of funds. So we'll, we'll certainly engage with customers uh, right now. So we've got to get we've got to get either up and running. Um, you know, on day one of the Ether launch, already pressure for the next crypto contract. See me, I'm hearing. Uh, but we'll listen to customers, and uh, I think it's something that people will talk about. Uh, but no plans in current for microsized contracts uh, on on crypto. Uh, but we're all ears. Uh, should people articulate that need to us, we'll certainly engage and hear them out. And you never know what the future may have in store. But no concrete plans right now. Do you think we'd see derivatives around existing crypto assets that CME is already supporting trading in for certain derivatives before new currencies are explored? Meaning maybe these minis, maybe something like um, other types of, of derivatives tied to either Bitcoin or Ethereum before maybe something tied to some of the other long tail assets? That's a good question. Um... You know, not necessarily something that we're focusing on in the product pipeline perspective, but some of the things that, you know, often get talked about with customers are, and I think right this may we're going, it's like, does something like Bitcoin Euro become interesting? Or some type of the other thing that gets talked a lot about is a basket of cryptos and things like that. There's certainly some, some things out there. I would say that that's something that's beneficial of our relationship with CF benchmarks is we can explore some of these ideas in the reference rate space. So we're also always looking for new ideas and new inspiration on the reference rate side of things and the real-time indices. So you might see some, some of that, that might be a good place to keep an eye out for some of that type of inspiration or kind of testing what else might be interesting with respect to price discovery in terms of the Bitcoin, other fiat pairs. Uh, there's some conversation around that, but I, I, I think for the most part, what we've really been hearing for quite some time now is the focus on Ether. Uh, so it will be interesting to see what rises to the top of the pile now that Ether futures are, are live. What would be your best guess? Something tied to indices or <laughs> I guess Ether options, if I were, if I were to put money mm -hmm. on it, like 
you know, that's, that seems like the natural course of things. Um, well, I think, yeah, I think in general, that's always, you know, I think in general, people are always interested to see if a futures market is successful or options additive. Uh, we don't have anything uh, kind of queued up for, for next, but uh, I think what we, if Bitcoin options are continue to grow and take root, and you couple that with a successful Ether futures contract, we'll certainly be listening to customers to see if Ether options uh, make sense uh, or if other cryptocurrency futures make more sense. We'll also pivot and uh, into that direction. We'll really take our cues from customers because, uh, as you know, like they say, the, cu- the customer's always right. And it's certainly true uh, in our markets because if we design something that the customers want, that makes or increases our odds of success for the contract itself. So we'll certainly look to them for guidance. In terms of the Bitcoin futures and options market, we've, we've talked a bit about the customer being core to the way in which CME navigates its product roadmap. How have those customers changed and developed over the course of the last three years? So I think one of the things that has changed is, I would say, the general approach to cryptocurrency. Uh, you know, we've actually had, I think we've, we're up at about 7,000 plus or minus unique accounts that have traded Bitcoin futures since launch. Uh, and it's continued to grow. So the, the customer personality or the customer mix has certainly changed just as a result of more and more customers coming into the same market uh, to trade Bitcoin. But I think one of the things is when you look at it, you know, here, February 2021, I would say I think most customers no longer are ambivalent about crypto. They have an opinion. Uh, So when we look when we first started, a lot of the questions were more like, what is Bitcoin? What does this mean for me? And now the questions we're engaging with customers are, not how much should I allocate of my portfolio to crypto? How should I best deploy my crypto risk management strategy? Uh, So I think that kind of almost summarizes, I would say, the customer evolution, where even if they are the same customer, their own beliefs around cryptocurrency have evolved. So it's a combination of new customers, new participants, and I think people evolving their own personal or organizational belief around cryptocurrency. And I think that's a trend that's going to continue. I think this is a story... Uh, that is here to stay. This is a story that's not going away with respect to cryptocurrency and the role it plays. So I think that's something that as more and more customers either get comfortable or work through their internal approval processes or make allocations of their portfolio or accept cryptocurrency as payment and things of that nature, uh, the risk management needs and the need to manage the price-related risks uh, to things like Bitcoin and Ether will only increase uh, from here is my belief. You hinted at um, customer pressure or pressure from outside CME for the next contract. What do you think looking out there in the world is, you know, the the third most popular or the contract that people would really be clamoring for after we figure out everything with ETH? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I can't, I'm not really in a position to kind of like speculate people want I do think it ebbs and flows, right? So I think in general, when we look at it, they they kind of look at the keep their eye on the market cap table. I would say in general, it tends to maybe, I would say some of the interest tends to drop off outside of like the top five or top 10, you know, just kind of pick pick a number. Uh, But most of the requests we get are dominated kind of by the ebbs and flows of the market cap table, I would say, uh, beyond Bitcoin and Ether. But those have been the consistent number one, number two, 
the rest is, like I said, kind of ebbs and flows based on how they're doing in terms of what we hear from customers. What do you think, like looking out at some of the um, developments across the crypto world, we've seen a number of interesting products launch at places like FTX, where we have like pre-IPO futures contracts and kind of this, I would say like intersections of the crypto and traditional exchange world coming together. Are there any products that like, you know, we don't need to comment on whether or not CME would do it or whether or not, you know, whatever, just something that you find being developed somewhere that's interesting. And for me, it would be probably that pre-IPO contract, but I'd be curious about what, what you find fascinating out there. I think when we look more broadly at the, the crypto space, you know, with, there's no not necessarily one specific product that I would say I think caught my eye or I've necessarily been impressed by. But what I have found impressive is the innovation. You know, this is kind of going back to my earlier point too, where it's like competition and innovation and development of new types of products. These are all very good things for the market uh, in general. It's great to see some of the stuff coming out here. Uh, but I do think you know, not all venues are created the same. Uh, certainly in the U.S. as a regulated venue, we operate by very different rules, uh, mainly because we have rules that we need to follow as a regulated exchange. Uh, and we can't necessarily do all of the, the things that some of the overseas platforms are doing. Uh, but I think that's a feature, not a bug, right, of our offering in CME Group is that it's the fact that for, especially for the institutional flow, that they're familiar with the futures market. They know how it works. We're in a, a regulated industry. Our rule books are publicly filed. Our notices are publicly filed with the CFTC. Uh, these are all things that help get people comfortable and they know the rules of the road before they invest. Uh, but it's certainly great to see some of the innovations out there. But we're also operating by very kind of different rules uh, at CME uh, as a regulated futures venue. And I think we've been successful in leading the way on the product development front. And, you know, but like I said, I, I'm interested to see what these guys always come up with overseas and in other venues. Uh, but again, nothing, nothing, one thing that per se that is that I, that I would call out at this point. Is there any one thing you'd call out for being stupid? <laughs> oh, wow. Frank, Frank, trying to get me in trouble here, I think, you know. By who? What do you uh, think? Terry no, Duffy's going to listen to this? <laughs> Yeah, he's a, he's a big fan of yours, Frank. He's a big fan. <laughs> I'm uh, sure. No, you know, um, no, I don't think anything is, I wouldn't characterize anything as, as stupid. I think, you know, it's something that's always interesting to watch the marketplace. I mean, it's just different folks have different motivations. The the ingenuity and the entrepreneurship is very strong in the crypto space. But but, but for myself and the team at CME, uh, you know, being a regulated venue, we're focused on bringing things to market in a way that comports with not only the regulations, but the expectations uh, that we hold ourselves to. The integrity of our markets is of utmost important. Uh, and like I said, we have a nearly 180-year track record with customers. And, and with that comes a lot of responsibility to do the right thing and make sure we're doing the right thing for our customers on a day-by-day -day basis. And clearly that track record has been attractive. And we've seen the market grow. We've seen new participants come on board from liquidity providers to block traders. As you mentioned, the number of accounts has soared close to 7,000, you said. It's been fun to watch this all come together. As we round out the, the show and the conversation, 
I'd be curious to know what you think just more broadly about the way in which various exchanges are wading into crypto. We've seen a lot of people focus on indexes and, and market data. Should we expect anything on that side of the business? I know it's not necessarily sort of exactly what you're overseeing, but does that area fascinate you? It's a good question. When looking at the landscape in general, uh, you know, we certainly welcome competition. I think here at CME, we help kind of pioneer that, that trail into both on the reference rate front, the index front, as well as the product front. Uh, so I'm certainly curious to see what additional uh, exchanges or folks out there can come up with. My background is, uh, you know, before CME, which will be I've been seeing almost eight years, I was an equity index trader. So I've always been partial to indexing. I think indexing helps address uh, and provide some of the uh, potential shortcomings of products. You have the ability to amalgamate prices from various venues. That kind of goes back to the point I was saying before. So I think index, data, the, the generation of intellectual property, these are all very beneficial things for the advancement and evolution of a, of a trading ecosystem. So it's not surprising that I think you see a lot of index-based solutions. I mean, I'm partial to indexing, given my background. I think it's an elegant way to ascribe a representative price of an asset that is based on market transactions. So it's truly what the collective market values um, that underlying asset at the same point. And then therefore futures markets uh, are a manifestation of the, the market's expectation of that price of that asset of that index at a future date. So I believe in kind of all that efficiency that that provides and the transparency uh, but I do think in general, data is always an area which people are innovating and looking to develop and looking to distribute. So I think as crypto gets more and more pervasive, so to speak, in people's portfolios, people's demand for data will only increase over time. People are moving more and more towards data-driven decisions, data-driven models, systematic trading strategies. So data will become immensely important. Uh, and I think it's going to be very interesting to watch uh, and it's something that we'll, we'll obviously keep our eyes on. And you know, like I said earlier, that's something that we're continuing to look to innovate on with our partners at CF Benchmarks. Uh, so it's certainly an interesting space to watch outside, on top of the tradable product growth as well. Tim, has your profile at the firm increased as a result of your attraction to the crypto world? I mean, I'm looking at the market cap of CME, $68.8 billion. We're seeing headlines printing about Coinbase possibly IPOing with a 60 to $70 billion market cap. What do your colleagues think about that? And are you now the guru? Good question. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know if people would call me the guru. Uh, I, I like to think it's also my, my charming personality that makes me, you know, people want to talk to me at work, not necessarily just that the fact that my team runs Bitcoin and eat your futures. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to deny that the attractiveness of CME uh, offering crypto is people like to talk about it. You know, we're a very storied institution that's been around for a very long time, and we're very ingrained in people's day-to-day -day activities with respect to trading and managing risk uh, across all major investable asset classes. Uh, but certainly the fact that CME is in crypto is always going to be a noteworthy topic. You know, when we also look at the broader scheme of things at CME, crypto is important, but we still have, you know, even to look at the rest of the portfolio that I manage, equity contracts had a record year uh, in terms of volume and revenue to the firm in 2020. That might have more of an influence 
on, on market cap at CME than necessarily our, our crypto line items. Uh, but it's certainly you can't deny the interest and enthusiasm of the combination of CME enabling folks to access or to manage their risk in the crypto. Very powerful combination, I think, speaks to the totality of what the CME brand offers to the marketplace and what it means to people. And it's really been, I think, it's a great source of pride of the firm that we're able to continue to innovate and deliver great new solutions and risk management tools as a nearly 180-year-old company. And I'm really looking forward to see what the year is having in store for us ahead. I was getting a little nervous there last week or the week before. It seemed like that interest was a bit more precarious. Almost thought about jumping on the the GameStop or movie theater beat, but luckily we're back here with this morning again. Interest roaring in the crypto world, not only with ETH futures at CME, but also Tesla announcing that they would allocate $1.5 billion through their balance sheet to Bitcoin. Hey, Tim, real quick, I wanted to ask, do we have an update on the volumes? Uh, yeah, so let's see. I can, because we're, we're in the maintenance window, so yeah, still at 388, sorry, 388. Well, that's a success. Yeah, it's pretty good. You know, I think Bitcoin was a little over a thousand on day one. So I think if you calibrate for market cap and stock volume, maybe ahead of where Bitcoin came out. But yeah, great day one to have almost 400 contracts up on the board. That's great. We appreciate Tim coming on the show from CME Group. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me.